Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me, would you please, to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Many years ago, it feels like a lifetime. It's, it's a lifetime for my oldest son, who's coming to mind right now as I think about the many years ago when he was about one and a half or two. Our firstborn son, when he was about one and a half or two, I remember I would come home from work and um, we worked, we were in a ministry, a Christian camping ministry in southern Ohio, Scioto Hills, if you've ever heard of it. Uh, we were there and, and my camp truck, as most camp trucks are, was very noisy and, and Kevin could hear me coming down the, the long lane that led, led to our house on the camp property and when I was done with work for the day, I would come home and he could hear the truck coming. And I, in the summertime, the, the front door would be open, the storm door would be there, and I could see his little head bobbing up and down, jumping up and down with excitement. That here comes dad, here comes dad. I can still see his little head today, jumping up, just bobbing up and down as he was excited with anticipation that his dad would come home uh, we we did uh, one thing that we we would do is i would wrestle with him on the carpet and i and i would say i'm gonna beat you up i'm gonna beat you up and i would grab him and we would wrestle on the carpet and he would he would come in he'd say dad beat me up beat me up <laughs> you know, i guess one time in sunday school his teacher said what is one thing you like your dad does to, does with you and he says my dad beats me up it's like oh that was our first child you learn lessons about the things that you say. It's like a, no children's services was not called. The passage before us this morning is all about anticipating the return of Christ. Did you notice that theme in some of the songs this morning? I'm so thankful for our worship team and especially for Paul and Sarah as they kind of think carefully about where we're going each week and bring us songs to help us focus on the Word of God and truths of scriptures that bring such encouragement to our lives because we're all going through something. Some of us are at a high right now. Some of us are, are in the middle of a low. Some of us might be somewhere in between, but we're all going through something and God's word speaks to us and especially a word like this that speaks to us about anticipating the return of Christ. I want to show you in our passage this morning seven characteristics of a believer in Jesus Christ who is properly anticipating his return. That sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Seven. Seven characteristics of a believer in Christ who is properly anticipating his return. If you're a note taker, I'll try to emphasize those seven so you can write them down so you can look at them again later if you do that kind of thing. I usually don't write it down to remember it later. I write it down to remember it now. So maybe you're like that. Our passage of study here in 1 John begins at the end of chapter 2. And, and the passage that we're going to look at ends at the beginning of chapter 3. So it, so it begins at the end of chapter 2 and it ends at the beginning of chapter 3. That seems strange, but be careful when you think about this, that the numbers in your Bible are not inspired. <laughs> okay, somebody put them there for us to help find our place. But God didn't put those numbers there. In fact, 
chapters 2 and 3 kind of insert an uncomfortable break in the flow of thought, and I'm going to remove that, okay? So, so just bear with me as we start at the end of chapter 2. Go with me to 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, and then I'm going to read into chapter 3 to the end of verse 3. So 1 John 2, verse 28, where it begins with, And now, and now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. There's a phrase I want you to notice here. Twice we hear in this section of verses the phrase, when he appears. When he appears. Once in chapter 2, verse 28. Again in chapter 3, verse 2. We also know from verse 2 that we shall be like him And we shall see him. Am I the only one feeling the anticipation here? You you feel that? When you look at that passage, do you sense the anticipation building that, that when he appears, when he appears, I'll be like him. I shall see him. I'm going to see him when he appears and I'll be like him. Oh, I hope you feel the anticipation of that. If you do, that's good because believers in Jesus Christ today are to live as though his return could be at any moment. Because it could be. Wouldn't it be incredible for for us to be here together and me mid-sentence of something that you're going to forget anyway and the Lord comes and takes us home, takes his church home, takes his children to be with him. Wouldn't that be incredible? That may not be how it happens, but we can, we can dream, can't we? We can think about and anticipate. I hope you anticipate the Lord's return. That's a good thing. It, it, will, mean, it will mean that you pay special attention to the things that I'm going to bring to you from the text today that show you these seven characteristics of a believer in Jesus Christ who is living in proper anticipation of His imminent return. In truth, we don't always live that way, do we? Think about your life this week, as I think about mine. Were you thinking about the fact that the Lord could return at any moment as you went through your week? We often don't, do we? We we don't often think that way. We don't often live that, that way. Often we live as if Jesus said, I'll see you at noon on Saturday in three months. Or I'll be back in three years. Or three decades. And because of this, we can be guilty of living like his return 
isn't imminent. And we have no sense of urgency in the way that we live, especially when it comes to thinking about the importance of practicing the obedience that he calls for in his word, paying attention to his word and obeying. So the need for believers to live in real anticipation of Christ's imminent return for his church is what John writes of here. It's why he's writing this. He's kind of putting the the pressure on, so to speak, as he speaks to these He calls them little children, but these are believers in Jesus Christ. They're like his spiritual children. He's trying to guide them along. He's saying, look, remember this. Live like Jesus could return at any moment because he could. We don't know the time. We don't know the hour or the day. That's not for us to know. We don't need to know. What we need to know is we need to live like he's going to return at any moment. And for good reason. It's apparent from chapter 2, verse 28, that it's possible to be living carelessly since he says to believers, and now little children, believers, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So it's possible to live in such a way that you might be ashamed at the appearing of Christ. God doesn't want you to live that way. He wants you to be confident and full of joy at his appearing. Think about the youngster who, whose parents uh, are going to leave for the day. And youngster, I mean teenager, who, who um, uh, his parents go, do the dishes, catch up the laundry, fold it, put it away, um, vacuum the carpet, and, and, and mow the grass. That should keep you busy today. And, and that teenager possibly... Um, I know most teenagers are very diligent to get right on those kinds of things, um, but possibly just kind of puts it off all day and then uh, beginning to look at, at uh, the, the clock and going, uh-oh, or, or maybe his parents have shared their location with, with him on Fine Friends and on their iPhone or something like that, and they can say, uh-oh, they're, I can see where they're at. They're in St. Louis. They're on their way. I better hurry. And uh, they start scurrying around and hurry, hurry up anticipation to get the things done that they were supposed to do so they don't get in trouble. Uh, otherwise, they might be ashamed when their parents walk in and go, how come the grass isn't mowed and how come you didn't do the dishes or the laundry? And um, You don't want to be ashamed, do you? <laughs> what we have here in our Bibles points to what I want you to see are seven characteristics of a believer in Jesus Christ who is living with the proper anticipation that the Lord Jesus Christ could return for his church at any moment. And the first characteristic of a believer living in anticipation of Christ's return is that you abide in him. You abide in him. We saw this same phrase last week. If that sounds familiar, we saw the same phrase when we looked at the end of verse 27 in chapter 2. Here in verse 28, he says it again. And now, little children, abide in him. Abide in him. How do you abide in Christ? Charles Spurgeon says it this way, Abide in the Lord Jesus Christ in making him the constant object of your life. As you live by Christ, so live for Christ. Ever since you trusted in Christ as dying for you, you have felt that if he died for you, then you died in him, that from now on your life might be consecrated to him. You are not your own, but you are Christ's and Christ's only. The first object of your being 
is to honor and serve him who loved you and gave himself for you. You have not followed after wealth or honor or self-pleasing, but you have followed Jesus. Take heed that you abide in him by continuing to serve him. That's helpful. Believers who abide in Christ, who continue to serve him, cling to Christ. Not the ungodly, unchristlike things of this world, and this includes being a believer who stays in the word, and the word stays in you. Just as we were taught in verse 24, that if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father, and you abide in Him. I would suggest that you abide in Him by devoting yourself to obeying His Word, by getting the Word in and practicing obedience to the Word. As we heard John say in 1 John 2.6 that whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way or live in the same way in which He walked, in which He lived. So you properly live in anticipation of the return of Christ and abide in Him by reading and obeying the Bible. Read God's Word. Make it a part of your daily life and make obedience to it a priority. Focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and glorifying Him with your daily obedience. The second characteristic of a believer who lives in anticipation of Christ's return is that you live with confidence. You live with confidence, and this is not self-confidence. We see this also in verse 28. Look at it again. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, you may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Think about the logic here. If you abide in Christ, you can be confident that you will not be ashamed when you see Christ. It's the same truth we hear in Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. You can have confidence if your trust is in Him, if your life is focused on bringing glory to God by your obedience. And so if you aim to satisfy your heart's desire in God and you keep yourself in God's Word and you seek to obey and serve Him, you can live with confidence that you have no need to be ashamed on the day that the Lord appears. You have no need to be ashamed. Just remember that this is not confidence in self. This is not confidence because you think that you've mastered the art of self-discipline. This is confidence in Jesus Christ and in Him alone because of what He has accomplished on your behalf on the cross and this is confidence in Christ for what He works in you because He works in you by way of His Spirit with the Word as you obey Him with the Word. Jesus' own words remind us in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So abiding in Christ, anticipating His return, brings confidence for today. 
Thirdly, here's the third characteristic of a believer living in anticipation of Christ's return. You will, and we've already touched on this already, you will practice obedience. I use the word practice. We think about the word practice as something that we do. A doctor has a practice. And we don't like to think about doctors practicing medicine. But they do. Ask a doctor. If he's honest with you, they practice. They're learning every day. They're learning and growing and learning new things. And as believers, we need to practice obedience. Your mama said practice makes perfect. The side of heaven, that will likely not happen (laughs) when it comes to being done with sin. But we're going to talk about that in a moment. We have something to anticipate, right? We, We read it. We are going to be like him. Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but, but practice obedience. That's a third characteristic of a believer living in anticipation of Christ's return. You're going to practice obedience. Look at verse 29 again where John says, If you know that he is righteous. Is he righteous? Yes, he is. And you know that. The Bible tells you so. That the Lord Jesus Christ is righteous. You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. The practice of righteousness is simply obedience to God's word. This is not being holier than thou, and we don't, you know, we don't have any problems. We're perfect people, and it's not that. It's it's obedience. It's diligence to say, I I struggle with sin. I'm fighting sin. I'm putting on the the armor, and I'm taking up the sword, and I'm going to get into the word, and I'm going to let it do surgery in my heart so that I can say no to sin. I'm going to war against sin in my life. We practice obedience for God's glory and for our good. And God intends it that way. Colossians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him or obey Him. Live in obedience. Rooted, says verse 7, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. What were you taught? We were taught the Word. We need to be obedient to the Word of God. Warren Wearsby writes this way, no matter in which direction a Christian looks, he finds reason to obey God. If he looks back, he sees Calvary, where Christ died for him. If he looks within, he sees the Holy Spirit who lives within and teaches him the truth. If he looks around, he sees his Christian brethren whom he loves. He also sees a world lost in sin, desperately needing his godly witness. And if he looks ahead, like we're talking about this morning, he sees the return of Christ. And then he quotes 1 John 3, 3, And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. And then he says, The return of Christ is a great inspiration for godly living. So you practice obedience in anticipation of Christ's return. Number four, the fourth characteristic of a believer who is living in anticipation of Christ's return is your hope is in the love of God. Your hope is in the love of God. And, and I don't want to confuse you here, but there's, I see four reasons here. Okay, So I know we're working on a list of seven, and I'm going to insert a list of four on number four. 
Okay, just to help keep you on track. There are four reasons I see here for your hope being in the love of God. I'm going fast here. This is good stuff, though. We think about this. What reasons do you have to hope in the love of God? We see here in verse 1 of chapter 3, and I want you to note the first word in the English Standard Version. It's see. See. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. We can see it. The King James Version uses the word behold. Behold. We can behold it. We can see it in His Word. We can learn of it. We can even see it in the world in which we live around us. We can see and take, take it in. We can behold and dwell on God's love for us. Don't pass over this quickly and lightly. Believers need to see and dwell on the love the Father has given them. See it. Be amazed as you learn and understand the love the Father has for you. Give it your full attention. Dwell on the love of God for you. Be encouraged by that. Give it your full attention. And again, your hope in God's love for you will bring confidence as we noted a moment ago. Ever, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Anybody? I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people in this room probably have been to the Grand Canyon. I saw it once. I was flying over it like, what, 30,000 feet? You, know, you know, look out, whoop, there goes the Grand Canyon. That was neat. You don't drive to the Grand Canyon and look like that, do you? You don't drive to the Grand Canyon, get out of your car, go, okay, we've seen it, let's go. Back home. Dad might, but nobody else will, right? You want to take it in. You want to see it. You want to get the souvenirs, the t-shirt that proves you've been there and seen that. Don't treat the love of God like a, a flyover experience. Dwell on it. Soak in it. Think about how much God loves you and what He has done for you through His sinless Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The second reason for your hope to be in the love of God is seen in the kind of love you've been given by the Father. See there in verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. God's love is far different than the love the world hands out. Far different from what the world calls love. Pastor and author John MacArthur says the following about the word from the Greek translated kind used here in verse 1. He notes, you would use it when you wanted to express the idea that this was foreign. That helps. See what kind of love it's like. It's foreign. This was alien. He says, it would be used to describe something that was so abnormal and unnatural that you would say, what country did that come from? Or what planet did that drop in from? Something completely foreign, something that has an origin completely outside of our world. What kind of love is this? Think of the Lord's love for you. Consider the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about the fact that God sent His only Son to die on the cruel cross, an agonizing death for His enemies. That's what the Bible says. The sinless son. A third reason for your hope to be in the love of God is that it's a gift. See what kind of love the Father has given. Given to us. It's a gift. The Father's love for us is a gift of God. It was not earned 
It cannot be earned. Don't ever forget that. It's a gift. If you earned it, it's not a gift. The fourth reason you can hope in the love of God is that because of his love, he calls you his child. You are adopted by God through faith in Jesus Christ. You are his child. We are called children of God because God loves us and has demonstrated that love to us through his son, Jesus Christ. What a great privilege to be called a child of God. So that's the fourth characteristic of a believer who's living in anticipation of Christ's return along with its four reasons why your hope is in the love of God. Now here's the fifth characteristic of a believer living in anticipation of Christ's return. You hope in the love of God, not in the love of the world. You hope in the love of God, not your, your, your hope is not in the love of the world for you. We can see it here in verse 1 of chapter 3 in the way the world sees believers. The reason why, look at it, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. What does it mean that the world does not know believers? It means that the world does not understand what's true of believers in Jesus Christ. It doesn't make sense. They might have heard some things, but they don't know those things like believers do. It means that the world doesn't understand what's true believers. The world doesn't understand the kind of love the Father has given to us. The the way God loves us is not the way the world loves. God's love is complete. It is sacrificial. The world doesn't get that. Eyes that have not been opened to see and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ don't, don't understand that. And the world does not understand how believers are God's children all because of what Christ has done for them on the cross. The world thinks you can earn this. And we're saying, no, it's a gift. That's God's love. That's his incredible love for mankind. And the world doesn't understand that believers in Jesus have God living in them through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God, the triune God, God the Son, who gave himself for our sins. God the Father sends the Holy Spirit the God, the Holy Spirit, into our lives to indwell us, to be with us, to, to bring the truth of the Word of God as we read it and dwell on it and, and recognize our need to be obedient to it, to help us obey it, to give us encouragement when, when we face discouragement, to give us hope when we feel like there's no hope, to give us strength to say no to sin when we're facing temptation. The world doesn't get that. It's, they, they can't get it. This failure to be known by the world, this failure to be understood by the world should should not dishearten us. Don't let that discourage you. Don't be surprised by it or even concerned by it. It's just the truth. John, uh, John says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. It did not know Jesus. We ought not be surprised or disheartened by this. Jesus also warns about this. We hear it again in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Maybe for many of us, 
the best way that we recognize this, maybe best isn't the best word to use, but the most recognizable way we see this is, is maybe a loved one in our family who's not a believer. And, and there are certain things that we say, I'm devoted to doing this and not doing that. And they take that as an offense. And they strike out at you because you know you're obeying God's word. They feel like they're being personally attacked because you're holier than thou. You recognize that. Many of us recognize that, that predicament. The world does not know us because they did not know Christ. And they may strike out at us because they don't understand. We ought to have the mind of Christ in this who cried out from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We have to be gracious to those who don't get us, who don't know us. We have to be gracious to them, living in obedience to God's word. We live in the hope and promise of who we are in Christ. It does not matter what others think of us. Because they can't think right of us if they do not know Christ. We live in the promise of who we are now because of the love of God for us now. Now here's the sixth mark of a believer who is living in anticipation of the return of Christ. Number six, and this is a bit longer, but bear with me. You have strength to live for God today. And maybe you could stop there, but I don't. (laughs) You have strength to live for God today because you know you will one day be like Christ. Strength for today because tomorrow I'll be like Christ. One day. Look again at 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. Praise God. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Believer in Jesus Christ, beloved, you can have strength to live for God today because you know what you will be when you see Christ. Even though right now you know you're living imperfectly, We're still dealing with our old sin nature. As John says here in 1 John 3, 2, what we will be has not yet appeared. We're not done with sin yet. We're still fighting sin with his help, with his word, with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. We have the ability to say no to sin because he gives it and brings it and brings the word of God to bear in our lives when we dwell on the word and the word dwells in us. But what we will be has not yet appeared. But we can know, according to God's promise, that we can live in anticipation of the return of Christ and have, as the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, says, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Because as God's child we will be one day done with sin. And so we have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside goes to him. 
Be careful, I might start singing it. As God's child, we're going to be done with sin. We're going to be like Christ. That's what that means. Let that drive you, encourage you to live in anticipation of Christ's return one day. One day we'll be done with sin. We'll be like Christ. We will be like Him because we will see Him. And God's Word says we will see Him as He is in His sinless perfection. Number seven. I know, last one. Now we have one more characteristic. The seventh that will be true of the believer who is living in anticipation of the return of Christ, you will enjoy a hope that purifies. You will enjoy a hope that purifies. Look at verse 3 again. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So believers who anticipate the return of Christ enjoy and you can enjoy this this hope that purifies how it's because your hope is only in Jesus instead of a hope being in your own accomplishments your own abilities your own work your own relationships all of those things which can go up and down and up and down no 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 Our eyes are fixed on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And lest we take too much credit for ourselves, sometimes we think about our own accomplishments and our abilities and and our relationships, and yet it's not based on that. Our hope that purifies is based on what Jesus has finished on our behalf. A hope fixed on Jesus and what he has accomplished for your salvation purifies because it compels you to live for him. Realizing, and I think the longer you know Christ and the, and the more the word of God dwells in you and you dwell in the word of God, the more you read your Bible and the Bible reads you, so to speak, the, the more you grasp this as, as undeserving as you are, God loves you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you become more aware of your your failure to live up to God's standard. Your failure to, to achieve perfection, no matter how hard you try to do the right things and live the right way in your life, you know that you're empty handed without His grace and mercy and help. And you're overwhelmed by that and you praise God for that and you live with great joy because you know you have His help You know that you can enjoy a hope that purifies. We hope in Christ because we know that forgiveness is ours because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And that we know eternal life is ours because He rose from the dead. We know we're God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. So we anticipate the day when we will no longer struggle with sin. And we await eagerly the redemption of our bodies that are wasting away the side of heaven. That's future hope. But it's also a certain hope. That's a sure hope. It's a promise that produces hope. 
And it's hope that produces present change. If you hope in Christ, you purify yourself. You seek to be like Christ. You seek to be obedient to God's word. If you want to live a life of growing obedience, you get into God's word and you, and you look to Christ for his help and strength. And that changes how you live today. That changes how you see today. And that's evidence that you are truly a believer in Jesus Christ and that you really are living in anticipation of Christ's return. 